0: Planetary Radio is Public Radio's only weekly series about space exploration. I'm Matt Kaplan, and I hope you'll join me as we explore Mars, look for life in the universe, and fly through the rings of Saturn. We'll talk with the men and women, scientists and dreamers who are guiding us to a future beyond Earth. And don't forget to enter our weekly space trivia contest. That's Planetary Radio, Mondays at 5.30 p.m., right here on KUCI.
2: Good evening. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. This show's engineer and co-host with Mari. If you don't know our host, Mari, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a local attorney and privacy consultant and is the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft with a CD. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in our county. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC News, O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows. She's even had her own 90-minute PBS special, which airs occasionally. They run it a few times. It was... uh, last summer that she filmed it but you might see it again and uh it's
1: yeah they aired it again this year twice already oh, okay
2: <laughs> so it's still out there all right so good evening murray
1: hey we've got a great show Remember when we had Trevor Hughes on last year? he is um yes I do yep, yeah, he is the director of the International Association of Privacy Professionals, of which I am a member, and he and Larry Poneman were on talking Well tonight, we are going to be talking with Trevor with a different capacity and he um, is terrific and knows a lot about online marketing and emails and all sorts of things that are very important for commerce but really important to consumers too. So, if you are listening and you didn't get to hear Trevor last time, let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Trevor Hughes is an attorney specializing in commerce, privacy, and technology law. He serves as the executive director of both the Network Advertising Initiative and the Email Service Providers Coalition, ESPC. I was laughing when I first read ESP. I think if people first went there to see that, they'd, they'd wonder a little bit. But the ESPC, the Email Service Provider Coalition, has emerged as the leading voice for legitimate emailers and has taken an active role in promoting sensible legislation. And they're concerned about technology and best practices because we know there's a lot of spam out there and things that email can be wonderful, but it can be really a nightmare as well. Trevor has provided testimony before the U.S. Congress uh, Commerce Committee, which I have too, last summer, uh, last spring. And the Senate Commerce Committee, the Federal Trade Commission, and the European Union Parliament on issues of privacy, spam, and technologies. He's lectured on privacy and e-commerce law at Boston College University and uh, Boston College Law School, excuse me, and the University of Maine School of Law. He lives over there in Maine and Northwestern University. He's been featured on National Public Radio's Morning Edition, the PBS Nightly Business Report, and the Wall Street. Journal, New York's Times, USA Today, National Journal, Washington Post, Boston Globe, and the Business uh, Week have, have also interviewed him. So, And we've interviewed him, too. So he's been on uh, KUCI before. So we're very lucky to have him. He is a native of Canada, and when he starts talking, you're going to hear that about, and I'm going to give him a hard time about that. But uh, he holds a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Massachusetts, and he has his J.D. from the University of Maine School of Law. So you can go to the websites and learn a little bit more about his organizations at www.networkadvertising.org and www.advertising.org espcoalition.org, and we're going to welcome uh, Trevor right now all the way from the East Coast. Are you there, Trevor?
0: I sure am. Hi, Mari.
1: Hi. We're so glad that you could join us again. Are you cold there?
0: You know, it's a very chilly day here in Maine. I, I will admit I would prefer to be with you out in California right
1: now. Well, yeah, it's. I hate to tell you it's, like, really nice today. And unfortunately, uh, we had some rain in recent weeks, but it's it's gorgeous now. So, Trevor, you're you're coming to talk to us with two different hats on. You've got your uh, advertising and the Network Advertising Initiative and the Email Service Provider Coalition.
0: Um, I, I do. They're they're actually part of the same organization, but with um, with sli- slightly distinct but similar um, mission statements and 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 goals and purposes. So, the Network Advertising Initiative is. Uh, Trade Association, made up of companies in the online advertising world. Uh, And the Email Sender and Provider Coalition is a group of companies um, that really represent the full breadth of the email marketplace. We cover the the folks who actually make the the boxes, the hardware, make the software, um, some of the senders, many of the senders of email, and some of the receivers of email, some of the Internet service providers as well.
1: So, what's your role with these guys?
0: So, I'm the executive director of the Network Advertising Initiative, and, and by default, also the Email Sender and Provider Coalition. So, I um, lead the organization, and and when I say lead, it's it's more like herding cats sometimes in the trade <laughs> association world. We try and uh, cajole people towards better practices online, so as to protect important consumer issues like. Spam and and identity theft and privacy, um, but but also to protect the legitimate use of of really powerful um, commercial channels. So one of the things that is really true about email is that it's the killer app. Um, if there is one thing that has come out of the web and the internet um, that that has really changed our lives on a daily basis, you know, it's email and. We need to protect that channel so that it can continue to be a really strong and powerful tool for for business and for consumers alike. Um, So we work real hard to make sure that that ecosystem remains strong and vibrant.
1: Right. I mean, I really love the emails I get from Amex telling me about the, you know, upcoming entertainment that I can get discounts on. And I love to get my email from, you know, certain organizations. And and, um, and then there's those other things that I hate to get, the spam that comes to me. Sure. So, you know, that's what you're talking about is, you know, the stuff that we we sign up that we want to get the email from Saks Fifth Avenue or whatever and find out about the sales. And Marriott, how am I going to get more points? I mean, those things I love to get, and I open them. But the things that I'm really worried about, like spam and phishing, those are the things that, that are uh, pretty frightening out there on the Internet.
0: And, you know, I, I, you're absolutely right, Mari. But I, I would add that while many of our members do – send email marketing messages. Marketing is just one slice of of the types of commercial messages that are sent via email. Our members also send uh, really every size, shape, and form of newsletter that you can imagine. They send transactional statements. So your monthly account statement coming from your frequent flyer account or your phone company or your electric company or your cable company um those are commercial email messages as well and and the um the economy of scale that is provided through email the fact that you're not paying for a stamp that really helps to reduce the cost in the marketplace and so we deal with all of those types of email not just the marketing messages
1: right right and and I do appreciate getting those those messages as to how many points I've gotten my shirt and points or or whatever it makes it a lot easier for me yep Yep. So, so tell us about um, really what are the current really important issues that, re- that you are all working on with regard to advertising and consumer privacy.
0: So let me speak specifically from the perspective of the Email Sender and Provider Coalition. We are a trade association that represents the email industry, and we look at spam as, as a critical threat to the continued health. Of, of email as a commercial channel. Um, as, as much as spam is frustrating for consumers and, in fact, harmful for some consumers, um, and we recognize it to be, and all of us suffer the same way that consumers do. I, I do as well.
1: And you are a consumer.
0: I am a consumer, exactly. That's right. um, We also, though, recognize that if spam is allowed to proliferate, that it will overwhelm and pollute inboxes to such a degree that consumers will no longer trust email as a channel for engaging in commerce, um, or they'll they'll shy away to other mechanisms for communication, um, and and that's a bad thing for the email industry. You know, again, if 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 you think of ten years ago and what your life was like ten years ago, with regards to communication, I was a, a fairly young attorney at a big insurance company. And we had an internal email system, but not a web-based email system. Um, So we could send very rudimentary text messages amongst people in our company, but that was it. Um, What a difference we have today, now 10 years later, where, um, you know, I I probably spend four hours out of my day actually working in email. It it has become that much of a part of my life, of my working life particularly. So I, I, I think it's really important for the legitimate um, players in, in industry to look at email and um, and do everything they can to stop spam. Because if we don't stop spam, we could lose this channel that's so powerful.
1: And I think they're probably, when you talk about spam, you're also including like those phishing emails that people get.
0: You know, in some ways, phishing is even worse, isn't it? Yeah, because, it really is. Um, where Where spam can be really annoying and with some pornographic spam that can be really problematic with kids in the house and so i don't want to discount that problem at all but phishing, there's a real harm involved if you get tricked by that message uh, you can you can go and and have your identity stolen you can have your credit card number stolen you can have your password and access codes to to websites that you use stolen and and that's a very serious issue. So and
1: indeed, those get very se- that
0: type of uh, problem is is paramount for industry.
1: Right, and those can look very official. I just got one this week from the Bank of America which is my bank and it even went on to say something like if you have any questions you know, you must do this right away because of, of some potential fraud. You must sign up and, and go to this website and, you know, check in and update these things. And it says, and if you have any other questions, you can look at your credit card or your, um, I'm sorry, at your statement and call the number on the statement, which Actually, you know, it was a little bit of a of a come on because you would think, right. well, gee, if they're saying call the number on my statement. Well, of course, I didn't get caught. I, I copied and pasted it into an email to, I'm a premier banker, to my, you know, premier banking lady and said, I think this is phishing. What do you think? And she said, this is clearly fraud. But that nope. was probably the most authentic looking one that I have seen ever and it came to me right from my bank supposedly you know mm-hmm. so i they think they certainly
0: that are nefarious that they is definitely are. the case
1: and and so that i would think would really hurt because if companies want to be able to you know the major financial industry that wants to communicate and
0: and right.
1: you know that's got to be absolutely terrifying for them
0: and it it is indeed it is indeed and it, and it really puts at risk the investments that many of those banks and financial institutions have made in email communication channels, and there literally are billions of dollars in investments that have been made in enabling e-commerce in many of those channels. Now, you know, the important thing is that in solving these solutions, we need to make sure that we don't hurt the very thing that we're trying to save in the first place. Right. That in, in, in fixing phishing or spam, that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Right. And so our organization has been um, really keenly focused on, on that delicate balance, trying to find that middle ground that allows us to address these problems, while at the same time protecting this thing that we all know and love, and that's email.
1: You know, you were talking a few minutes ago about trust, And that is huge, consumer trust online. So what specifically are the organizations that you work with, what are they doing to improve consumer trust?
0: So I I think there's a lot of things. I think um, when email originally emerged as a a marketing channel, um, uh, spam was quick to follow. And originally there really were not good standards. I think people thought that it was going to be like direct mail where there really was no consent, lists are bought and sold all the time, they're merged and purged, and people get a lot of junk mail, and we kind of shrug about it and and just go on with our lives. Well, email, it turned out, is different and has been different, and there's a lot of reasons for it to be different, Um, uh, primarily that the receiving side of the equation pays for the receipt of the message, message, not the sending side, in direct mail, you pay for a stamp, so the sender pays. Right. Um, and so I think that led to eventually a recognition that we needed to do something more to engender um, good consumer protection practices in this space, good privacy practices in this space. Now, that largely took the form of the Can-Spam Act, which was passed in 2003 and went into effect January 1st, 2004. Um, but the Can-Spam Act is an opt-out standard, and it was pretty heavily criticized at the time as being an opt-out standard. In other words, marketers get one bite at the apple. They can send you a message even though you haven't asked for it. And if uh, you don't say anything, they can keep sending you messages. If you say no, if you opt out from that message, then they can't send you a message again. Um, We have looked at that, and actually prior to the implementation of the can Spam Act, recognized that um, we think that email marketers should actually go a step further than that, and that email should be a consent-based marketing channel. And so we have something called the email pledge that we require our members to adhere to, and it's constitutional in tone. Um, Our members are required to only send messages if they have the consent of the recipient or a prior business relationship. They have to provide an opt-out in every message, and we think that that's one of the first things that legitimate companies just have to do, have to do in order to engender better consumer trust. There's a lot more that's going on right now, though. I think that has become a very clear baseline for all legitimate businesses in the email space. You just don't want to be characterized as a spammer in the marketplace if you care at all about your brand. Um, Companies are now going much further and working on things like email authentication. Um, They're working on anti-phishing strategies. They're working on reputation systems. Um, to try and ensure that that only messages that people want are getting through and and that the bad stuff is is much more identifiable and people are much more accountable
1: you know when you're talking about the spam and and the opt- out I mean the reality is is the bad guys who are over in a in a kitchen in Russia sending out spam or some other foreign country they're not going to follow our laws anyway you know
0: that, that is in, indeed the case, and the FTC has looked at that many times and recognized that as one of the major problems, and really in any online fraud, is that the Internet is a is a borderless medium. Um, many have said about the Internet that there is no there there, right. um, that you can kind of be all places at all times and, and be nowhere um, as well. Um, and indeed, that's the case. Uh, a, a lot of spam uh, originates overseas, but... Uh, Curiously, uh, a lot of folks think that some of it originates in the U.S. but is routed overseas so as to obscure where it's actually coming from. Hmm. So, um, uh, for example, for some reason, Boca Raton appears to be a hotbed for spam activity, and we've actually seen a number of enforcement actions down in Boca Raton, Florida.
1: Ah. Well, Florida is the fraud capital of the world. (laughs) That's what we found, at least. There it is. (laughs) We I just want to introduce you again so people who are driving by who just turned on, get to know who we're talking to. We are speaking with Trevor Hughes, who is an attorney, and he serves as the executive director of both the Network Advertising Initiative and the Email Service Provider Coalition, and he's helping us to understand what... Best practices are, and what we should really know about email spam, and even other things about authentication. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about what they are doing about email authentication. Can you tell us what some of the newest initiatives are?
0: Absolutely. So, let me explain email authentication first, because I think it's an important thing to understand. Email is fundamentally um, a <clears throat> a spoofable communications channel. So when you send an email, technologically, it's possible to say that you're someone else and that you're sending it from somewhere else. And that has been one of the major problems that we've faced in enforcement actions and going after spammers. I call it the impunity of anonymity, that spammers um, uh, can spam with impunity because they know that they can hide behind this veil of anonymity that's provided by the very technology that they're using to send their spam. Right. So there has been a lot of work, including some very early work from my organization, the Email Sender and Provider Coalition. We worked on something called Project Lumos now three years ago, um, where, where we called for email to be authenticated, for there to be mechanisms to authenticate that a message is coming from where it really says it's coming from. And that has gained significant traction in the marketplace. And over the past year and a half, we have seen a couple of major uh, standards emerge in the marketplace. Uh, one is called Sender ID. The other is called Domain Keys, or Domain Keys Identified Message, or DKIM for folks in the industry. Um, the, the differences are, are technical. Um, uh, uh, sender ID is, is an IP address-based or a DNS-based authentication system where... No additional encryption is necessary, and and DKIM is is an encrypted solution where um, uh, wh- where where a signature attached to attach the message is actually encrypted. Um, both of these have have uh, been discussed, and we have seen Sender ID because I think it is it's a little bit easier to implement. Um, adopted very very broadly. Um, essentially, what it does is if uh, you were to send me a message. Um, automatically, my ISP could send a message back to your server and say, "We just got a message from uh, uh, from Mary at idtheftprotectors.org. Um, um, I just made that up, obviously. Right. <laughs> and and is this a valid is this a valid sender? And the message would come back from that server. Yes, indeed, it is. Um, if I got a message from I'm a spammer um, at that same domain. And sent a message back saying, "Is this a valid person sending this message?" I'd get a message that says, "No, it's not. It's not authenticated," and that really helps um, ISPs and really recipients of email to understand whether um, the messages are valid or being sent from a valid domain.
1: So let but, me let me ask you a question, though, Trevor. I, I want uh-huh. to see how that would work. So, because I, I haven't seen that, at least, or maybe I haven't, haven't even realized it. So in other words, my internet service provider, for those people who don't know what ISP is, my internet service provider, if I get an email from Trevor Hughes, my internet service provider would provide me a message that says you just got an email from Trevor Hughes?
0: No, actually not quite. Okay, it's, okay um, help me. The, One of the beauties of email authentication is that it's it's relatively invisible to consumers. It's something that protects you behind the scenes, and you don't have to spend a lot of time worrying about it.
1: Oh, okay. So your,
0: your ISP would automatically actually ping back to the DNS server from the domain from which you are sending, and say is this message valid or not and and there would be a response yes or no um, So um th- there are a couple of implementations i think microsoft uh, in hotmail has a mechanism so that you can see that um... there's a little warning that comes up that this message cannot be authenticated through sender id do you want to see this message mm-hmm. um, uh, but but generally, generally, uh, email authentication is not something that has a direct face to the consumer it 's more a tool that isp 's internet service providers can use to help parcel messages out into a junk mail folder or to block them outright or to send them straight past go send them home into the inbox so that you can oh. read them right away.
1: Okay, so I am getting some of those. Well, for for, for example, a lot goes into my junk box, which mm-hmm. I just delete. Okay, which which I had set that up. Yep. And then I do have an. I have a couple internet service providers from my websites, and I'll get something, and it'll say, "This message was sent to you and rejected." Is that what you're talking about? That
0: th- that's one of the ideas. There's a lot okay. of tools that ISPs are using. One of the things that we've seen. I mean, AOL has announced in the past year that they're actually seeing less spam now or less spam is getting through to their their subscribers. Um they're getting very good with their filtering methodologies at the big ISPs. So authentication is probably one of the tools that they are using, but definitely not the only tool that they're using. So there may be other content filters or HTML filters or other sophisticated things. There's boolean type uh analysis that goes on it's it's um it's uh it's quite Fascinating how sophisticated they are!
1: Wow! So you keep up with all this technology, Trevor?
0: I, I do my very best, but <laughs> you know I, I am not a technologist for sure.
1: Boy, it is—it's pretty amazing. So, yeah, I mean, the good news is that we as consumers aren't going to have to worry about that. We're going to be able to hopefully um, rely on our ISP to to do most of that. But even even with those filters, I know I've gotten. Just lately, I've gotten all these that are in another foreign language that I don't even know what language it is, but it's not, you know, Roman letters, and yep. it doesn't look Russian either, and it doesn't look Japanese. so I don't even know what it is, but I've just been, when it comes through and they go, do you want to, you know, open this or translate this, I, I just say no. You know, I just right. delete it automatically.
0: You know, I think, I think one of the big messages for consumers is that you need to think of your email account and your email address as a sensitive piece of information. And, and much like you have to keep tuning your car or you have to be careful about how you use your credit card number, you need to keep tuning your inbox, and you also need to be very careful about how you use your, your email address. And And I think good practices by consumers, along with just some cynicism and, and, and some scrutiny as things come into your inbox, can uh, can solve a lot of the problems that we see in the marketplace today
1: right right um let me let's get to because we're talking about the dangers on the internet and it's it's bad enough for adults but let's get into the issue of the concern about children and cyber stalking on the internet and and emails with pornography and you know a lot of i just came from uh, this past week i went to um, a program put on by our sheriff here in orange county california about internet and your child and gosh Trevor, it just scared the heck out of me because, you know, these kids go on MySpace and they go and they uh, do all of this blogging, you know? Right. And even if they don't do um, give you much information, I saw that in 20 minutes they showed us the whole way that a bad stalker who actually did harm a child, what they did, they went into MySpace and they were able, within 20 minutes without having a phone number or an address or real specific information, was able then to find the phone number and then do a reverse lookup, find an address, uh, find out names, times when the kids were going to be home and the parents weren't, and literally went to the house and assaulted a child. And um, it it is pretty terrifying to think. I mean, like you said, the, the Internet, worldwide net, and... And and it, you're everywhere and nowhere, and yet it it is fabulous for resources and being able to communicate, and yet there's this real dark side.
0: Sure, there is, and you know it is terrifying, and and that sounds like a tragic situation. Um, and I, I I think that um, parents need to be very concerned about what their children do online, but um, much like our philosophy with the ESPC is that we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, we do need to recognize that one of the things that makes a site like MySpace or Facebook so powerful um, is that it it does empower kids and it gives them an outlet for creativity and interactivity, and that can be a very positive thing as well. But we need need to be very, very careful about how children are are using the web and, and, and what types of things they're receiving via email as well.
1: And lots of times these kids, I know, you know, for me at least, Trevor, when, I, when my son, who's now 27, um, started on computers and I bought him his first computer in sixth grade, he's the one who taught me everything on the computer. So lots of times these kids are, are actually better techies than their parents, Sure. So, so it gets to be you know a problem, and then of course everybody is worried about the kind of emails not only that adults get but the children get. So, so what are states tr- starting to do to protect children, and is it really protecting
0: children? Sure. Well, uh, um, my realm of expertise is the email space, um, particularly on this issue, um, and and there was a lot of activity prior to the CAN-SPAM Act. Uh, We actually had 37 state laws in place, and it created this cacophony of standards, um, um, this crazy quilt of of standards around the country that made compliance very difficult for legitimate companies. And one of the goals of the Can-Spam Act was to standardize that and provide a common platform for email around the country. Since that time, we've seen a few things emerge, but one of the notable initiatives in the past year and a half or so is this idea of child protection registries. And the idea here is that you create essentially a do-not-email list, right. a do-not-email list where parents could put children's email addresses or their own email addresses if children had access to their accounts on a a state registry. Um, and marketers that are selling things or providing things that are illegal for a minor to purchase view, possess, or own, um, that they would have to come and suppress, uh, much in the same way a telemarketer has to suppress against the do not call list, um, they would have to suppress their campaigns against that list so as to not deliver to anyone who appeared on that registry. Um, We have laws uh, like that, child protection registry laws, in place in Michigan and Utah, and there are currently laws um, being proposed, bills that have been introduced in Connecticut, Georgia, Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, Hawaii, uh, and I think that's it. So um, this is clearly one of the newest ideas. There is a lot of consternation about this idea, and I think there's some, uh, a, a very interesting and compelling debate that, that's actually raging on this issue right now.
1: So, so tell us, what, what are those issues? I mean, what, sure. what are your concerns, and what are the concerns of your right. organization? So
0: I, I guess let's, um, let's start at a very high level and then get very detailed. Um, at a very high level, if, if you were to walk up to someone on the street and say, what do you think of the idea of a do-not-email list? The general response is, that's a brilliant idea, um, and that's largely a result of the success of the do-not-call list. the the federal Do Not Call list. It is perhaps the most successful consumer protection effort ever undertaken by uh, the federal government, and we should all be very thankful to the Federal Trade Commission for the amazing job that they've done with the Do Not Call list. It has over 100 million names on the list. Um, that is more than voted for both of the leading presidential candidates in the last election. So if the do not call list was up for election, it would win by a landslide.
1: Right. Um,
0: so given that history of the success of the do not call list, I think the initial reaction when someone says, what do you think about a do not email list is, wow, that's a great idea. Of course we should do that. Um, and in many ways it it makes sense intuitively. But unfortunately, email is a different technological channel and has different uh, mechanisms and de- different business models and economic drivers in it. Um, and it makes it uh, very, very different than telephony, than, than telephones or telemarketing. Um, so fundamentally, what we're talking about when we talk about a, a, a children's do not email list, as we see in Michigan and Utah, is creating a centralized database of confirmed children's email addresses and we were just talking about predators a second ago and 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 how easy it was for them to to find information about kids online think about what kind of a target a centralized database of children's email addresses would be for for a spammer for sure but but also for some of the really bad predators online Um, So we've got a centralized database, and and then we tell all of the folks who sell things that are illegal for kids to purchase. So think pornography, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, fireworks. It varies by state to state what's illegal for a kid to purchase, but generally it's sort of the the, the seven deadly sins. Anything in those categories is illegal for a kid to purchase, and, and those marketers would have to come to the list and Suppress press against the list so as to not send messages to the email addresses on that list. So if we think about the law in a bit more detailed sense now, what we've done is we've created a centralized database, which in and of itself is a big target. And now we've told every pornographer and alcohol seller and tobacco seller and firearm seller in the country that they not only have to have to come and get those children's email addresses, but they have to hang on to them and use them on a day-to-day basis. The security issues involved here are just overwhelming and, and, and really um, and chilling, I would say. Um, first, you've got the security around the registry itself, and I, I think the, the states of Michigan and Utah have done a pretty good job at encrypting the databases that they're using and protecting those databases. Um, but there's no security provided, nor could there be, nor any guarantees for the security, um, with all of the people who come and access the list. So all of the companies, legitimate or otherwise, that are selling adult content, selling alcohol, tobacco, firearms, um, there is no security on how they handle the names once they're inside their shop, um, and that's a big problem. That's a very, very big problem. It's such a big problem, in fact, that the Federal Trade Commission has now uh, opined on this three times. They wrote a report to Congress in 2004, and they raised this concern and. Um, I'll, I'll paraphrase here, but the language they used for Congress was that the thought that online predators, including pedophiles, could get their hands on this data is truly chilling, and I think it is. It's a chilling thought. Um, the uh, 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 the online um, uh, abuse prevention and, and and child safety advocacy group, uh, uh, WOE, Working to Halt Online Abuse, they're at haltabuse.org, They've also come out strongly against this, has, as have privacy advocates and civil liberties advocates, like the Center for Democracy and Technology a noted privacy advocacy group in, in D.C. and the Electronic Frontier Foundation out in your neck of the woods um, have all come out and said, this is a really bad idea.
1: Well, yeah, you know, when you think about who has access and how are they going to know if it's really um – the person who goes in to say that we're a company if they really are a company are they going to investigate look with the choice point fiasco right and so are these governmental agencies going to say yes you you are a company or are they going to just let them have this list and so
0: even you- even with the issues of social engineering and i fully agree that that is a a real threat and uh, if a if a company as big as choice point could could um, could get hoodwinked by some some Not even that clever crooks. Right. Yeah, you have to imagine that that other folks could too. Um, uh, But you know, there's nothing to prevent a rogue employee at a legitimate company from misappropriating this. Right. In fact, the irony here is that the contract that was signed with the vendor in both Michigan and Utah, the two states with registries in place actually states that both the state and the vendor recognize that valid email addresses can be extrapolated from this list, and that the vendor and presumably the state have have no duty to prevent a misappropriation of those names once someone uses the registry. So the very contract that created this uh, this registry process in the states of Michigan and Utah um, uh, recognizes and disclaims this risk because uh, because it is a very real threat.
1: So it's like a candy store for a you know a predator who who has access.
0: It, 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 indeed, it is, and um, I, I think th- the, the words you've just used are, are are roughly similar to what groups like Working to Halt Online Abuse and the Center for Democracy and Technology have used.
1: You know, what was also scary at this program that I went to for the for the sheriff, it was talking about having kid emails and putting that in and doing a search. Just, you know, putting that into a search engine, the, the email, and seeing what comes up. Right. Finding out where kids live and, and all this stuff. So you're right. I mean, having that email is very, very different than the do not call list. And, it, and to me, it, it sounds crazy, totally crazy. But let me ask you another question. Are, are these laws at all preempted by the can-spam?
0: Well, one would think, and, and there's actually a lawsuit uh, right now, and, and it's actually been brought by the adult content industry of all people, but um, there is a lawsuit in Utah challenging um, the Utah law on the grounds that the can-spam act preempts the Utah law. Now, let me explain preemption real quick. The idea here is that when the Can-Spam Act was passed, as I mentioned before, there were 37 state laws in place. And the federal government, Congress, I think, recognized that there was a need for a single standard for the entire nation. Remember, with the internet, there is no there there. It's a borderless medium. And so trying to legislate it at a state level is a real challenge because um the, the most restrictive state standard essentially becomes the lowest common denominator that you have to adhere to. Um, so, so Congress added something to the Can-Spam Act called a preemption clause, and it basically said that, um, that the Can-Spam Act preempts any other state law on commercial email. In other words, state laws that, that cover commercial email are null and void. Now, one would think and and, uh, many do think that the Utah and Michigan laws and the bills that are being proposed in these other states um, uh, would be preempted under the Can-Spam Act. Unfortunately, um, that didn't stop Utah or Michigan from passing their laws um, and and from other states from considering these laws. And and unfortunately, once these laws are passed, um, Congress can't, March in with the National Guard and just demand that they that, that, that they repeal these laws. You, you actually have to go through a legal process, and so someone had to step up. And again, it was the adult content industry through a group called the the Free Speech Coalition that brought a suit in um, uh, in Utah to to challenge both the constitutionality of these laws and also to to claim that these laws were preempted by the CAN-SPAM Act. <laughs>
1: Too bad it was them that had to do it. Because you know, I think <laughs> I
0: think there could have been many more sympathetic plaintiffs. Indeed, <laughs> there could, and and um, uh, and 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 that's probably not uh, uh, not the best plaintiff for us to have in Utah, for anyone to have. But um, you maybe know, maybe the,
1: in some of the other states, you're going to have some better plaintiffs. Like,
0: let, let's mm-hmm. hope. The, the, the fact is, though, is that. Um, at least on this issue, um, uh, th- they're right. Uh, we think that that the law is preempted and and that it really is dangerous. So, um, well, uh, well, it's not the best plaintiff. Um, uh, at least, at least the issues are right.
1: Well, you know, we just had a law that came down. You know, California had passed a more stringent um, no-facts law um, yep. that just got uh, overturned because of preemption. So you know they said no that that uh you know state laws could not be more stringent than the um than the federal law with regard to the the no facts, so that was overturned, so it looks like there is some precedent here that uh you know it looks like it may not be very uh acceptable either and i I, I think that's right so if you can get some of these other states that are trying to pass these laws to have some better plaintiffs. I think it'll have. There'll be more sympathy in public because I think what happens is, and the good news is having you on the show and having people listen and understand it and what the concerns are. On first blush, they're going to say, "Of course, we don't want our kids to get this kind of email from these bad guys and from pornographers and people who incite terrorism or whatever it is." So I think you know, it's it's a matter of education right. as well
0: yeah this this combines a couple of of uh, sort of hop on it button issues um one is spam and the other is is kids and and pornography and and um and phishing and fishing too yeah exactly i i mean any parent um would would immediately say well i want to do anything i possibly can to prevent that the the problem is is that it takes a bit more knowledge and a bit more thinking and a bit more understanding before you realize that this is actually a more dangerous solution than than, than 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 not having this law that having this in place is actually worse than not having it in place
1: right if you just tuned in we are talking with Trevor Hughes he's been on our show before he's great we think he's wonderful he's an attorney specializing in e-commerce privacy and technology law and he happens to serve as the executive director of both the Network Advertising Initiative and the Email Service Provider Coalition. And we're talking about spam and email and protecting kids. And let let's talk a little bit about what you think are the alternatives or so, you know, if we if you don't believe, and, and it sounds like what you're saying is really true, that this could really uh subject the children of our country to a lot more danger and predators by having these uh, email registries. What are the suggestions as alternatives? Because this is really a huge issue.
0: It it is indeed. And um, um, in in no way do I want anyone to think that, that my objections to the child protection registries mean that I think we should be soft on this issue at all. I don't. I actually just think that these are more dangerous than um, uh... that th- th- than they should be I-, I think there's a lot of things that parents um, can be doing and should be doing to protect their kids and they should be thinking about not just email but the entire online web experience or entire interactive experience that their kids have um... specifically with email though you should make sure that you're using a service provider and an email client and i'll talk about those in just a sec that provide you with parental controls, um, really robust parental controls. You may actually want to go out and compare them. So your service provider is a company that provides you your Internet service, your ISP. Um, For many folks, it's AOL or it could be Comcast. In our area, we have Time Warner and Roadrunner. Um, And you should be um, looking at those services to see what type of parental controls they offer you. Will they offer you... Uh, domain blocking, um, so that certain uh, domains cannot send e- emails into your accounts. Um, will they offer you special email addresses that you can set up for your kids and monitor for your kids? Um, you should be looking at those issues. You also should be looking at your email client. Now, for many folks, that's Outlook. Um, for other folks, it's a web-based client. Most of the web-based clients, in fact, all the ones that I've looked at, have great parental controls. And Outlook also has really good controls. There's a number of things that you can be doing in these email clients. Um, Number one, you should be going through, and if it's your child's email address, switching off HTML, or at least considering switching off HTML. HTML is graphics. Um, uh, That will stop images from coming through and rendering in, in your child's inbox. That doesn't stop bad words from coming through in text, but at least some of the images can be blocked. Make sure that you've got good um, content filters so that if there are bad words, um, they go into a folder that your kids don't see or don't have access to. Um, You may also want to consider if your kids are younger um, uh, and haven't sort of started communicating with their friends at at school uh, via email yet, you may want to consider creating a, a walled garden for your kids so that um, they have an email account, but the only people that they can communicate with are grandma and grandpa or aunt and uncle or or, or, or cousin or whoever it might be, that there's a very few email addresses that they are allowed to receive emails from. Um, all of these are possible solutions that are available in the major email clients out there today. But I think a Above all, above all, and more important than anything, and and isn't this so true for just all parenting, talking to your kids about what they're doing online, watching what they're doing online, and paying attention to it really actively is probably the absolute best thing that you can be doing Um, because as good as all of your defenses might be, something might squeak through the cracks. And if it does, you want to make sure that you're close enough to it or your kid's comfortable enough talking to you about it so that you can fix it and make sure it doesn't happen again.
1: You know, it's really funny that that we're talking about this because, like I said, I was just in this three-hour training about all of this. And the fact that people will say, well, gee, if someone would come into your home, you would make sure that you, you know, if your child was outside and talking to a stranger, you would go out there and say, who are you, you know? But if your child is sitting in his room on the Internet and he's talking to someone on the Internet through email parents don't often go in there and say, who are you talking to? You know, it's just a different thing. And the other thing is that it's just harder for a lot of parents because they are not as savvy. And so that's why we're looking to ask for maybe technology fixes or ask our ISPs to do something. Do you know what I mean? Because in reality, it's kind of hard to keep up with the kids because they can, they can do, you know, we were talking about this, like, they were talking about the parental controls that you're talking about. And these kids are so smart that a lot of them know how to turn them off. <laughs> you know, they were saying that. And the other thing they said was this is one, one parent um, was explaining that they had the parental controls in terms of certain wording in in, um, in the websites that they couldn't even go visit, like like a balloon. This yep. kid was going to do a a." a term paper on hot air balloons but balloon came up as a pornographic word and so she couldn't do her homework she couldn't get into the site so her mother turned off the parental controls and then of course then it's it's useless right right and so um it it is a challenge we are in such a technology um age that it is so hard to keep up with all this stuff
0: it it certainly is and I, I I don't think there's an easy answer to that problem um, of of keeping up with all of this. I, I I think in fact, the number of communications channels only seems to proliferate with IM and RSS and text messaging. Yeah. And 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 SMS and and mobile devices. It seems like we have a, a new communications channel every day. Um, um, But, you know, again, uh, for parents, I think there is a real need for them to be paying very close attention to what's happening with their kids and how they're using these technologies.
1: You know, the other thing that we were talking about in our our group is that the schools that are teaching about how to use the Internet or, or requiring research on the Internet, which I know they do all the time, um, they should be teaching these kinds of things as well. There should sure. be courses on internet protecting yourself on the internet, even for little kids yep. and um, and actually, there is a national what 's it called um I, there is a national organization that is that is funded by the federal government to to put together some of these programs for the schools for Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, and for the Sheriff Association. In fact, we're, we're implementing one here in Orange County to try and do internet and the child and educate the children and educate the parents. Because, to be honest with you, I found out things that, and I'm pretty savvy as about identity theft, I'm more savvy than most people I know, and I was in shock on half of the things that I learned. So um, it's, Indeed. you know, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, the, a lot of those things, you know, but not everybody does
0: indeed
1: so, Now, so t- so tell me with the two organizations that that you work with, what are some of the best practices that you're um, training or not that you're training but that your coalitions are trying to implement for for um, reputable uh, commerce
0: sure, so uh, you know we we talked about our our email pledge that we require our members to adhere to consent-based email practices. Um, In other words, they they need to have you say, yes, I want to get this before they send you an email. Um, We also require our members to authenticate their messages, and we talked about the technology of authentication. We've also worked on, and this is more with the network advertising initiative side of of the the house. Again, it's all one organization, but separate by the, the industries we cover, the spaces in the industry we cover. Um, On the NAI side of the house, we've worked on standards for things um, called web beacons, which are a small single pixel tag that that allows for some valuable auditing and traffic counting um, services to be performed on the web, but also has some pretty serious privacy implications associated with it. We've been active on standards for cookies, and we've been active for standards in online advertising as well, um, making sure that consumers have an opt-out available to them, so that if they don't want to have targeted advertising online, that they can actually opt out of those things, and not have. And they're still going to get ads because the web is supported. All that free content gets paid, um, paid for by by the advertising on the sites. Uh, it just won't be targeted to their, to their their behavior or their surfing habits.
1: Yeah, what do you think about that? What do you think about advertising and and specifically knowing where I get an email or I get information when I go to a website? Hi, Mari, you like this and we're going to give you this. I mean, you know, I get that all the time with Amazon. As soon as I get on Amazon, okay, Mari, I know you've read this now. These are books we think you're going to like. Let me ask what
0: you think about it with Amazon.
1: Well, in some ways... I like it, but it's, it's almost creepy. Sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, especially if, with me being interested in privacy, I, I, of course, Amazon for me has been somebody that I've, I've had a relationship with. Sure. So it's so different. I
0: think, I, I think you just actually hit the, the crux of the issue there. And, and that is that with, with Amazon, it's a company that you've had a relationship with. And, From that, I extract that there's a certain level of trust that you have with Amazon and the Amazon brand, Um, and that you kind of know what you're getting when you go to Amazon, and you know that they're uh, monitoring the books that you purchase and the things that you look at so as to try and make your visit more relevant. Well, if you think about what they're doing there, they're doing the same thing that yahoo does when when you personalize yahoo or google actually has some features that allow you to create personalized content on google Um, uh, same thing with msn most major portal sites allow for that kind of personalization today i think most consumers look at that as a real benefit it means that the um the web page that they go to is that much more relevant i mean in a very simple way um you know my wife has uh, the home page on her computer set to weather.com with our zip code as part of our profile so that every time she opens up the browser, she gets our local weather. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the same kind of idea. It's personalization. It's one of the great things about the web. Now, consumers should have a choice about that. They shouldn't have to um, um, uh, have have their, their, their surfing, their quick stream gathered as they go through a site. Um, so as to create that that targeted content, um, but but a lot of consumers really love it. I know I, I know I appreciate it. I, I speak on this issue quite frequently, and I have a slide um, from Amazon, and this is six years ago now. And at the top it says, "Hello, Trevor Hughes," and the very first book that it's offering me is. Privacy and technology. Right, and right. I put up that slide and I say, you know, look at the book they offered me, and you know what? I bought it. Right, right. It worked. Um, exactly. So, so th- there's a reason. There's saved a you time of, in,
1: in your surfing for for the right book to buy, right?
0: Ex- exactly. So, um, so so I think that there I, I think that there is value there, but it has to be done in a way that is built upon trust that respects consumer choices. And does it in a way that's that's responsible and accountable and upstanding, um, and and that's fundamentally what what our organization tries to provide. We provide consumers with uh, a notice and information on our website about uh, um, ab- about the practices of our members. We require of our members to to have disclosures and privacy policies about what's happening. And, again, the availability of this opt-out so that those things can be switched off.
1: Yeah, let's let's have you tell the websites of both of these. And I noticed that, for example, on the uh, network advertising initiative, you do have a whole section for consumers. So could you tell those two sure. websites so it, and what we can find on those?
0: You bet. Um, so uh, um, they're they're pretty boring sites <laughs> for people not in the industry. But there is a consumer piece to the network advertising initiative, and that is a consumer opt-out. And any consumers that are interested in opting out of profile-based targeting or behavioral targeting, as we've just been talking about, um, uh, it's only for our members that they're opting out. Um, They can visit networkadvertising.org, and uh, they'll have a lot more information there. Um, For folks that are interested in uh, the email issues that we've been discussing, um, our website is ESP Coalition for the Email sender and Provider Coalition, ESPcoalition.org. And um, while that's more industry focused, you'll will find information there um, on on the various initiatives, including email authentication, our email pledge, our deliverability best practices, and and some information on on the um, on the child protection registries that we've been discussing.
1: Well, Trevor, we also have a, although we're on a campus at the University of California, Irvine, and I don't know if you've ever been out here, but we are also in a very um, you know upscale area in Orange County where there's a lot of industry and a lot of business, so there might be business owners that might want to join. So h- how would you do that if you were a business owner driving um, around?
0: By all means, they can contact us through the contact information provided on on our websites. again, networkadvertising.org or ESPcoalition.org. Um, and uh, we are always delighted to have folks join us and, and try to uh, drive accountability and best practices into the industry so that we can you know, again, preserve these channels that are that are proving to be so powerful from a commercial perspective.
1: Well, they're so lucky to have you, Trevor, because uh, you know you're very knowledgeable. You're even a techie, and you you know the law and your privacy you know protective. So that's uh, that's the best. What would you like to leave us with? Um, in terms of, we only have about a minute left. Sure. Well, what...
0: from a consumer perspective, I just want to to reference a couple of good resources that I'm aware of, um, and and this is for. Parents interesting and interested in protecting their kids or consumers just interested in some of the child protection issues that we've been discussing. The FTC and a bunch of industry groups have worked together to put together a really valuable website called On Guard Online. You can find it at onguardonline.com. And I, uh, I encourage folks to look at that. And it's spelled the English way, O-N-G-U-A-R-D, not the French way, E-N. Mm-hmm. So On Guard Online. Um, and then also uh, Working to Halt Online Abuse is an organization that advocates to, um, uh, to protect children and adults from online harassment um. And uh, that is haltabuse.org. And uh, uh, they have uh, done some real good work in this space and another good place to look for resources.
1: Well, thank you so much, Trevor, for taking the time out of your evening on the East Coast. And we're going to have to have you come back again and update us as to what's going on. We've been talking with Trevor Hughes, who's an attorney specializing in commerce, privacy, and technology law. And he serves as the director, um, as the executive director of both the Network Advertising Initiative and the Email Service Provider Coalition. Thanks so much for joining us, Trevor. We will talk to you soon. Thanks, Mari. Okay, bye-bye. You've bye-bye. been listening to WW. I'm sorry. You've been listening to Privacy Piracy at 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, you've been listening to KUCI. And you can also listen to us at KUCI.org. To learn more about our guests and listen to our previous interviews and even listen to the podcast, you can go to www.kuci.org slash privacypiracy. Join us next week at 5 p.m. And we really appreciate your listening. And please send us an email and let us know what you like and what you'd like to hear. Stay tuned now from 6 to 8 and hear Neapolitan music with Jessabine and Rena.